Life is fickle, isn't it? On February 24th, 2022, the Russian army invaded Ukraine in what was supposed to be a very swift and speedily conquering of the country of Ukraine. And here we are 15 months later. On November 3rd, 1992, then-President George Herbert Walker Bush lost in an astounding and astonishing presidential election to an upstart politician named Bill Clinton. On December 2nd, 2001, the energy company by the name of Enron, after hitting $91 a share on the stock market, filed for what was then the largest bankruptcy in the United States. On September 29, 2008, that same stock market lost over 777 points in one single day, the largest loss in the history of our country. On March 11, 2020, the National Basketball Association suspended play due to the Corona-19 virus, and our lives were upended. Life is fickle, isn't it? It's confusing. Our future is so often uncertain, and we don't know what to do. And unfortunately, the only thing that is certain is actually death. Barring Jesus returning, we all know that death is in our future and everything else is so uncertain. So how do we respond? Well, that's the very idea that the author of Ecclesiastes is going to tackle this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 to 12. There should be a Bible under a chair in front of you or in a pew back in front of you. And Ecclesiastes is about halfway through the Bible, after Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. And you're looking for the big number nine, and we're just going to be in the first 12 verses as we try to understand how to live in a confusing world. We've been looking for wisdom for such a time as this. And this morning, the author of Ecclesiastes is just going to give us this wisdom to try to guide us and help us as we live through life. Here's the point that the author wants us to understand, that the focus of a fickle life should be freedom with Christ. That the way forward for you and I in the middle of such a fickle and confusing world life time is just resting in the freedom that we get from Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. As we do, would you stand with us as we read God's Word as a way of submission to the Lord this morning? Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate, 
Man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head." Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going." Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So life is incredibly confusing. Psychologists say that you have to hear something seven times before it finally sinks in. And it's as if the author of Ecclesiastes knows this to be true because on repeat now, he keeps reminding you and I that life is confusing and he keeps twisting life in every which direction to help us to understand how confusing it actually is. <laughs> and yet through that, he regularly paves a path forward for us. And this morning, the author wants to show us two realities that are in some senses disconnected, but in other senses line up together and then pave a path forward for us through those realities. So let's look at these realities. The first reality is the finality of death. We don't like to talk about death, do we? Some of us like to ignore death or like to try to prolong the effects of death. Maybe we put on makeup or we wear nicer clothes to feel like we're younger than what we actually are. Some of us 
exercise and diet, hoping that if we can just get our bodies in shape, then maybe we can add a few more days, months, or years to our life. And yet when death happens, even when it it happens to those around us, we have two responses. We either ignore the fact that they died so we don't go to their service to commemorate their life, or we talk about it as if it's some sort of celebration and that they have moved on to another place because we don't want to deal with the reality that death is final. And death is not part of the original creation, but the result of sin. And when sin entered the world and sin broke the relationship between us and God, death too entered the world. And so we don't like to talk about it. And yet there's a reality that death is going to happen unless Jesus returns. And that death should change the way in which we think about our future, and it should affect the way we think about our present. It should change the way we approach today. My hope is it changes the way you approach this very second until that moment you die. And the author shows us this. Look look with me at verse 1. He just simply begins, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all. Well, what is he examining? Well, you can go one of two ways. You can either look back to chapter 8, where we saw that we should pursue wisdom, that wisdom has its benefits, but if we give ourselves entirely to wisdom, we also need to recognize that there's a border to that wisdom, that, that wisdom reaches a point in which we then have to just trust God. Or we can look to where he's going today, where he begins to talk about the deeds of man and how they are in the hand of God. The the reality that everything that we do is in the hand of God. And notice what he says, the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. There are things that people do that we just simply cannot understand how it happens and how God is holding it all together. Have you ever listened to somebody talk and you're like, I understand every word in that sentence, but I don't get it. I don't understand at all what that sentence means. Ever been in that position? I I feel like I've been there a lot more recently. I'm like, I can define those words, but when you put it all together, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. You see, there's limits that we have, and we don't like to embrace those limits. We want to do anything we can to get around or get under or get over those limits, and and the reality is that we have to embrace those limits because God is in control, not us. God knows all things. We saw last week that that's called omniscience, that that God knows all things, and yet we are limited in our knowledge. And and notice how this plays out in verse 1. He says, whether it is love or hate, man doesn't know. Both are before him. So you don't know if God hates you or loves you or is happy with you or is angry with you? So so often, life is that confusing, isn't it? 
How many times have we gone through life and we're experiencing a good season and so we say, we utter the very words, God must be happy with me. Or maybe you're going through a difficulty in life and you think, what did I do? God must be angry with me. And yet, that does not fit the narrative of your Bible that's in your laps. Because if you were to read the narrative of the Bible, what you'll read is the prophet Jeremiah, whom God called from the womb to be a prophet on behalf of God, is thrown into a pit and left for dead. We, you can read the book of Job. That, that's not the book of Job to get a job. It's a book of Job named after a man who loved God. And one day, God allowed Satan to wipe out his kids, wipe out his business. And in that moment, he's asking the question for 30-some chapters, why, 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 why? To which God said, where were you when I formed the creation? He never answered the question. He just said, you're not God. And the same thing goes with Jesus, doesn't it? We read in John chapter 15, we see in John 15 that Jesus says in verses 18 to 25 that if the world hates Jesus, he's going to hate those who follow Jesus. If the world persecuted Jesus, the world's going to persecute those who follow Jesus. And so this mentality that if I just do what's right, then my life will go well, does not line up with what the Bible says. So what do we do? Well, let's continue. Look at verse 2. He begins to show more frustrating and annoying aspects of life. He says that it is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. The same event. Okay, well, what's that event? Well, let's keep going. The good and the evil, okay? The clean and the unclean. This doesn't mean those who showered and didn't shower, but rather clean before God. To the one who sacrifices to God and the one who does not. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears an oath, essentially, and the one who shuns an oath, he's saying the same exact result happens to both camps. Frustrated yet? <laughs> so many of us feel like, man, I'm doing everything right. Why is this happening to me? Well, let's continue, because it's almost as if the author agrees, because look at verse 3. He says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. Well, what's that evil? That the same event happens to all. In that moment, if we're not careful, we can give ourselves to the things of the world, thinking that why in the world are my good works not enough? This is what makes it difficult. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what often makes it difficult for you because you believe that your good works should outweigh your bad works. And the author just said, that doesn't work. This is also what makes it so hard for us Christians because 
we think that when we obey, good things will happen. There's a name for that. You know what it is? It's karma. It's not Christ. And so we have to have these ideas about Christ, and we have to bring them regularly back to God's Word and submit them to God's Word and allow God's Word to reorient and shape those ideas to see God correctly. So what's the path forward that he gives us? Well, well let's continue in verse 3, halfway through, he says, Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. So the reality that we've been seeing, Romans 5 says that you and I are born into sin. We have this nature that wants to rebel against God. Hope you have a good day. It's just the reality of our lives. Probably not the information you wanted to hear today, but the, the reality of what we need to hear in order to be driven back to Jesus Christ and the hope. But notice what he says, that, that, that this is in the children of man. That doesn't mean that we give ourselves further to that sinful nature, but notice where this sinful nature in this direction of humanity heads. After that, they go to the dead. They die. That's where we're heading, is towards death. So what's the path forward again? Well, look at verse 4. He says, he who is joined with all the living has hope. Well, well, why is this? Look, look, look again. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. How many of you have dogs here? Right? Dogs are a man's best friend. They are wonderful creatures in your home, not in mine, but in your home. I love to visit them, and, and, but I love to leave them there. But in the Bible times, dogs were not seen as man's best friend. Dogs were scavengers. Dogs were ferocious. They were dirty. They were disgusting. But lions, man, they are majestic, beautiful, mighty, the greatest of all creatures to walk on four legs. And yet, notice what he just said. It's better to be a living dog than to be a dead lion. It's better to be a dirty, disgusting scavenger than to be strong and mighty but dead. Why is that? Well, look at verse 5. He continues. He says, for the living, he tells us why, the living know that they will die. The living know the future. I don't think I shocked anybody in here this morning telling you that apart from Jesus returning, you are heading towards death. None of you are thinking, oh no, I had no idea that I may die. But just by nature of living, you know that you are heading towards death. But notice what the dead know. They know nothing. They're dead. They don't know anything 
at all. You see, it's the living that knows that death is coming and that there is an eternity out there because of Jesus Christ. We know that there's an eternity out there. And so with that knowledge, we can change today. We can transform how we live today, and yet when death enters in, death stops that trajectory, and we can no longer change eternity. When death enters in, everything stops. Your eternity at that point is set. That's what he says. Look at verse 5 again. He says that they have no more reward For the memory of them is forgotten. There's no more future, no more reward, no more ways of doing great and grand things in this world because death is the end. And they're forgotten. Some of us have people like that in our lives. They died and maybe it was sad in the moment, but most days we don't think about them. Death is forgotten. And it begins to shape even how we think about life a little bit more. Because look at verse 6. He says, their love and their hate and their envy. So all of the attitudes and actions, everything that they did, even the worst that they did, have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Death's final. And it's coming. Whether you're wicked or you're righteous, death is coming. And you thought, why did I come this morning? (laughs) Because there's a reality. The reality is so often you and I live today as if death will never happen. We spend our money as if there is no eternity. We spend our time as if there is no eternity. And we fill our life with the pleasures of this world. And we do not realize that death is coming. And on the other side of death, we have to give an account to the judge of all the earth. Do you realize that? Even if you're a believer, there is a reality in which we will give an account for the life in which we've lived, and the Lord will give rewards based on the way in which we live for Him. And, and the author is saying, hey, wake up to this reality. So often we are numbed to the reality that there is a God and that this life that we see will not last forever. The culture around you is on overdrive to distract you from the truth of God and to numb you to who He is and to drown out His voice in your life. You realize that? Through media, through TV, through sports, through music, through whatever your hobby is, there are so many ways in which the world is utilizing to to act as earmuffs so we cannot hear God, to act as blinders so we cannot see God, and to uh, give us anesthesia so we are numb to the realities of God. 
And so often we're just taking these things like, oh, this is great. Oh, that feels so good. And yet Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, listen to what he says in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do you realize that the days are evil and they are warring against you? You're in a battle? The question is, do you know you're in a battle and are you fighting the battle? But you're in a battle. And we have from this moment until death comes and you are now 20, 30 minutes closer to that day of death, to that moment of death. And the question is, how will you leverage this time to prioritize God and take hold of your life so that God would be at the center of your life? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 5, 11, he talks about the reality that Jesus will come back, and when he comes back, it is sudden, and he brings destruction for those who do not believe in him. And so we need to live as people who are sober, sober-minded, realizing that Christ could come back at any moment, so I need to be ready I need to be excited and eager and ready for that day to come. And yet so often we give ourselves to the things of this world. For most of us, it's not the, the uh, extreme things that will take us out. It's the good things that will take us out. If you've heard of the movies or the books Chronicles of Narnia, they were authored by C.S. Lewis, a British theologian and medieval scholar, and he once wrote about this idea that the enemy of good, uh, the enemy of great is good. The enemy of doing the great and the best things is doing good things. Do you see that slight move that we can do a lot of things that we think are good and right, but if they're not the best things, we're not going to be centered on Jesus Christ. And so we need to wake up each day and we need to be thoughtful about our days. We need to wake up each day and, and, and really think and ask the Lord, uh, if I believe in you, trust in you, how should that change my day? Do you do that? I want to encourage you each morning. Okay, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. Okay, how should that change my day? And then ask yourself, what does it look like for me to stir my own heart today to see and to savor the beauty of Jesus Christ? And then to Im implement that in your life that day. And then begin to work outward. 
That if you are married, begin to think about your spouse and say, how can I stir their heart to see and savor Jesus today? And if I have kids, to continue outward and say, how can I stir my kids' hearts to see and savor Jesus Christ? The world is distracting to you, but the world is also distracting to them. And if we're not careful, they get caught up into all of the things that will lead to destruction in the name of doing what's good, but not doing what's best, which is following Jesus Christ. You know, Paul tells us in Philippians 3, verse 8, he says, I count all things as rubbish, as dung, as poop if you didn't know what that was, in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Is that something you could say for your life? Because death is coming. The question is, is how are you going to live the remaining days of your life? Are you going to live in the reality that Jesus, you will see him face to face? And you are preparing yourself not to earn his favor, but if you believe in Jesus, you're preparing yourself to enjoy his favor for all of eternity. We don't do good to earn. We do good to enjoy who Jesus is. But there's a second reality that the author wants us to see. And this reality is the fickleness of life. This is the fickleness of life. So the reality that life comes to an end at some point, and yet there's uh, uh, an ability for us to kind of think about that, but yet still live our life just kind of tossed to and fro here, waiting for that day. And the author wants us to grasp how fickle life is, how easy it is for you and I to be swayed by the joys that are here one second and gone the next. It's like a mist. If you were out yesterday morning, you saw the fog, and by midday, it was gone. That is a picture of our lives. That is a picture of the joys in which the world is spending hundreds of billions of dollars to advertise to get you to buy. It is a joy that's here one second and gone the next. Even the principles of life that we live by seem to fail us as well. Teams with the highest payroll do not always win. Trust me. I know this to be true after the last five years. My team with the highest payroll hasn't really won. The smartest people are not always the richest people. So how do you respond? So often we're, we're shocked by that or we struggle. We have this mentality that if we do as God says, then the world will operate and will turn out a certain way for us. And when it doesn't, we are shocked and we are jaded and we become bitter. As we noted before, we shouldn't be shocked. 
Because even Jesus, at the end of his life, he did everything right, and he is strung on a cross, crucified, and all of his followers, even the one who is so bold to say, even though all those scrubs will turn away from you, I will never turn from you. <laughs> How fickle that was, because within 24 hours, that dude was pronouncing curses that he did not know, Jesus Christ. So even Jesus experienced the fickleness of friends and, and the world well, how does this play out for us? Look at verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, the author tells us an order that we expect and yet an order that actually occurs. And he talks about this order under the sun. So anything that happens in this world. And he says the race is not to the swift. The fastest person doesn't always win the race. If you watch the movie Cool Runnings, you remember, the fastest person in the race was tripped up and lost the race. Nor the battle to the strong. Again, just look at Russia. They should have walked right in and conquered Ukraine. And here we are. Nor bread to the wise or riches to the intelligent. The richest people I know have not graduated College. In fact, the richest person I have ever met did not even graduate high school. So sometimes, just because you have intelligence does not mean you have riches. And to make matters worse, nor favor to those with knowledge. Dumb people get ahead sometimes. And that is very annoying, isn't it? The world just does not turn out the way that we expect. In fact, he ends verse 11 by saying, but time and chance happen to them all. It feels as if we are on a massive roulette wheel wondering where that marble will eventually stop. It's confusing. It's troubling at times, isn't it? And yet we have to remember that this is our human perspective. That the author is writing from what we can see and what we can understand. And yet we know that when we read all of Scripture, that God is in control. That God is sovereign over all things. And God is not surprised by anything that takes place. And so this confusion is not a confusion in God or even a confusion from God. It is a confusion that rests in us. It's a confusion that we must wrestle with before God. And it's so troubling that for some of us, it leads us to never plan because we think, well, what's the point? And yet, Jesus calls us to plan in Luke 14. In Luke 14, 25 to 33, he talks about a man wanting to build a tower. And he says, doesn't he sit down first, count the cost of building the tower before he builds it? The same thing happens with a king before he goes to war. Doesn't he sit down and count the cost of going to the war before he actually goes? 
so too should you and I when it comes to following Jesus. We should count the costs. We should plan. We should be thoughtful. Not just kind of say, well, it doesn't really matter. The issue here is not whether to plan or not. The issue is what are you planning? The issue is is who is guiding your plan? Because life is so topsy-turvy. So what do we do as a result? We should plan in light of the Lord. We should live our lives and plan to live our lives in light of the Lord. Well, how do we do that? Paul shows us, I think Paul shows us in Colossians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory. What's Paul saying? He's saying if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are tied to Jesus Christ. That as he died, he did not stay dead, but he conquered death, and he then ascended into heaven, and now he is seated at the right hand of God in the throne room of God. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, the... the, King of Britain was uh, crowned king, right? Did anyone watch that? Because nobody cares, right? right? But, but there's this reality that, that there's a beautiful throne room that the king will now reign from. And Paul just said that if you are in Christ, lift your eyes off this world and look to that throne room where Christ is reigning, where Christ is ruling, Look to the beauty and the majesty and the glory and set your mind not on things here, but set your mind on things there and live in light of Christ. And it's out of that Paul then commands us in verse 5 to put to death what is earthly in us. You see, when your eyes are elevated off of this world, the fickleness of the world, we can begin to put these things to death and see life as it actually is meant to be seen. Why does this matter? Look at verse 12. Because man does not know his time. And he gives us two examples. We don't know the days that are numbered. Every moment we're closer to death. He gives us two examples. He talks about fish being caught in a net and birds being caught in a snare. I can just imagine, I don't ever fish, and especially with a net, but I can just imagine fishing today. You know, you get a little worm on the, on the hook and then you throw it into the water and the fish is just swimming, thinking about life, thinking about, huh, I'm kind of hungry. That worm looks tasty. And now he's caught. And dead. I 
so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. If we're not careful, we too will be caught by the evilness of this world. You do not know your days. So live this moment for Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, I heard a story of a 33-year-old man who moved to Benghazi, Libya. He came out of a, an amazing church in Austin, Texas, a church that is well-known actually in and outside of our denomination for sending missionaries across the world. I mean, they've sent hundreds And so this young family, husband and wife and little kid, answered the call to go to Benghazi, Libya. And he was serving there to be a teacher of English as the door in which to share the gospel. One morning, this young man was uh, jogging alongside of a road when a pickup truck pulled up with uh, men holding guns who then gunned him down and killed him. All he did was just go out for a jog, and he never returned home. But he had hope. He was there for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As difficult as that is, his wife could say, we have hope. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we as people... If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we as people should not be surprised by the fickleness of life. This is actually what I love about Christianity. It is only within Christianity that tells us the world is messed up. You are messed up. You have no ability to fix it. The fix is outside of you, and it comes from Jesus. Your hope is not in you having a better day than yesterday. Your hope is in the fact that Jesus had the greatest day. He died for your sin and mine. And then he rose from the dead and conquered it. And now he is at the right hand of the Father reigning and ruling. Man, think about the hope in a confusing world. And so church, we must not be people who get caught up by the world because that will never fulfill us. We must be people who live in light of the return of Christ. When you were a kid, hopefully kids, you're not doing this today, but when you were a kid, your parents went away for hours or maybe days. What did you do? Your trash just kind of ended up wherever it ended up. Your clothes kind of ended up wherever they ended up. Your dishes ended up wherever you wanted them to be. But you knew your parents were coming home, and so just a few moments, few hours before they came home, what did you do? You scoured around the house to get the house in order because you knew your parents were coming home. Church, Jesus Christ is coming back. Is your house in order? Are your finances in order in light of Jesus? Is your marriage in order in light of Jesus returning? 
is the way in which you talk with others in order, in light of Jesus returning. Because unlike your parents who you knew came at a specific time, we have no idea when Jesus is returning. And so we don't have another second to wait to get our house in order. Now is the time to live in light of Christ. But how do we get there? We get there based on what the author shows us at the end, and that is the freedom for life. The freedom for life. So often we don't look at the freedom that is offered to us. We neglect this freedom because we think that God is a legalistic God. You read the Old Testament, you think, how in the world can God be like this? That just feels like a bunch of rules. Well, think about it for a second. You're enslaved for 400 years to a powerful nation that does not care about you, that is willing to suppress you, willing to do anything, and there's no laws against what they can do to you. And now God comes and says, hey, no murder. Sounds like a good gig to me. Don't steal. Huh. I kind of like that. Hey, uh, take the Sabbath off. Now, immediately, whoa, 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 who are you to tell me I have to take a day off? But if you worked for 400 years without a day off and God is saying, hey, once a week you get a day off, I don't think you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe you're forcing me to have a day off. No, you're going to say, thank you. I've never experienced that rest before. His laws are not burdensome. They are good. They are freeing to us. And notice the freedom that he shows us. Look at verses 7 to 10. He tells us, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Why? God has already approved what you do. Now, now we've got we to be clear because definitions matter, don't they? If you've ever been to a restaurant in the South, you will know that uh, Typically, one of the first questions they ask is, what kind of Coke do you want? Well, what do you have? Well, we've got Pepsi, we've got Mountain Dew, we've got, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you said Coke. Yes, because to them, any soda is Coke. Definitions matter, don't they? So just because he's telling us, drink your wine, doesn't mean he says, get drunk, in fact, Ephesians 5.18 tells us to not get drunk, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ecclesiastes 2 already told us, don't give yourself to indulgences of the world. No, 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 no. We have to get our, 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 our definitions right. And the definition is, hey, enjoy the pleasures that God gives. Don't overindulge, but enjoy them. In fact, go so far to let your garments be white and your oil or your head not lacking in oil. And you might be thinking, whoa, this is weird. Like, why do I care about wearing white? Well, apparently, if you live in the Middle East, where it is the temperature of the sun in the summer, white and pure white is a beautiful treasure because it reflects the sun. And oil is refreshing to your body, and the author is saying, look at these gifts that God gives and enjoy them. To the point, 
that he continues in verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Uh, Guys, this does not mean that you should have multiple wives and you get to choose the one that you love and enjoy life with that one. Just want to be clear. No, 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 no. You have a wife. If you do, enjoy life with that wife. All the days of your vain life because this is what God has given you. In fact, he continues in verse 10, and he says, Whatever your hands, hand finds you to do, do it with all of your mights. Enjoy. Enjoy what the Lord has gifted you in, and, and enjoy the things that the Lord has given. Why? Because there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, the place that you're going. Sheol is the place of the dead. And when you're dead, you have no ability to utilize your hands and no ability to enjoy the the pleasures and comforts from from God in this life any longer. And so we need to avoid the extremes that is seeking instant gratification and indulgence and the extreme that continues to press off the joys of God to the future and we never enjoy them, and we never get to experience them. So how do we do this? Or rather, how can we do this? We can do this because our eternity is secure in Christ. And how did Christ live? He was often ridiculed for eating and drinking and enjoying the things of the world, and yet We read that he never sinned. Peter tells us that no deceit was found in his mouth. John tells us in John 17 that Jesus did everything that the Father asked him to do. And yet, how did the people treat Jesus? One Sunday, they praised his name. Five days later, they called for his head. They killed him. On a cross. I mean, think about the fickle nature of life. You're riding high, and by the end of the week, you're dead. And yet, what was actually going on? Well, Luke tells us in Acts 4. In Acts 4, Luke tells us what actually happened. And listen to what the early church prayed to God. In verse 24, we read, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were against, uh, gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Listen, listen to what he says. They're praying, God, all these people were against your anointed Jesus, but listen to what they then say. These people were against Jesus to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You see, on that cross, the Father was still in control. The freedom for you and I 
in such a fickle life is that at the darkest hour that the world has ever experienced in which the wrath of God was poured out on Christ for your sin and mine, in that moment in which I could imagine being a follower of Jesus and thinking, what is going on here? The very followers about 50 to 60 days later said, oh, Father, you were in control all along. This is exactly what you destined to take place. And it's through Jesus' death and then through his resurrection that we begin to see the the reality of John 14 that we read earlier, that, that Jesus had to die, he had to rise, because as he did so, he goes before us to prepare a place for you and I. And in this place, according to Revelation, there is going to be this massive, beautiful banquet feast where we get to celebrate and enjoy freedom forever with the Father and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this freedom is only for those who follow Jesus Christ. Brother, sister, do you realize that if you follow Jesus, this is the worst it ever gets? It's up from here. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the best it ever gets. And it's only down from here. There's an eternity where you bear the wrath of God for your own sin. And so I want to plead with you to come to faith in Jesus Christ to trust in him, to stop running to the worldly pleasure, but find pleasure in Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to turn from the things of the world and to find freedom in Christ for such a fickle life. So on February 24th, 2022, on December 2nd, 2001, on September 29th, 2008, and March 11th, 2020, where were you turning for hope and freedom for such a fickle life? Was it in your ability and in your knowledge? Or was it in the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we are grateful for your grace to give us this word to change our minds and our hearts. Oh, Lord, we need you. Our hearts are just like the world, so fickle, so easily swayed by emotion, by what we feel in the moment, and we often are given to despair. I pray that you would now ground us in you and in your truth. I pray that you would stir in us to see and savor that you are better than anything that this world has to offer and that we now would experience freedom in Jesus Christ the only hope and source of freedom, I pray. In your name, amen.